welcome to a very special edition of the BICOM podcast. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. David Pollack. David, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, my pleasure. It's good to be with you. Wonderful. And on such short notice, given uh, obviously (laughs) today is pretty dramatic news, but before we dive into it, let me just give our wonderful listeners a brief introduction on today's guest. So David is the Bernstein Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, where he's also the director of FICRA Forum, which is a program of research, publication, and network building designed to generate policy ideas for promoting positive change and countering the spread of extremism in the Middle East. Now, Ficker Forum is a unique Arabic-English bilingual online platform that promotes exchanges between mainstream Muslims and Arab Democrats and U.S. decision makers and opinion leaders which I encourage all of our listeners to check out. It's a great resource. Oh, thank you. Incredible yeah. contributors. <laughs> and before joining uh, the Washington Institute, David was a senior advisor for the broader Middle East at the State Department, where he also held several other policy advisory positions. Now, this is just about the perfect background for the discussion. <laughs> that we're going to get into today, which is just that a couple hours ago, we heard a announcement about the full normalization of relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, which was brokered by the United States. So we're speaking, like I said, just a couple hours after this historic agreement was announced. So could you just walk us through your initial reactions and assessments to it before we maybe dive into some of the nuances of it. Okay, well, uh, first of all, uh, the specific timing and nature is a surprise. I think it was a very well-kept secret. Um, I think it was clear to a lot of people that the Gulf Arabs were moving in this direction, but in a kind of previously, an uneven and gradual way. And most people, I think it's fair to say, assumed that this kind of full normalization would probably not happen until there was at least progress on the Palestinian issue. Um, So the fact that the UAE has taken this plunge is, as much as it has, you know, really going in full scale for relations with Israel uh, is a, a bit of a surprise. Um, there were there was talk about other kinds of steps, like a non-belligerency agreement, you know, short of peace and diplomatic relations and open contacts and all of that. And there certainly was a lot of media. Uh, discussion about this issue in the Gulf Arab countries, particularly in the Emirates and in Saudi Arabia, in a way that there had never been before. But that's been going on for two or three years now. But this step is uh, caught everybody uh, who wasn't, you know, the small circle of people who were privy to it really um, off guard. 
And uh, so that's point number one. Number two is that I think it's very positive. I think um, it is a sign that there are ways to make, kind of make, uh, as we say, I don't know if you have this expression in the UK, but we say make lemonade out of lemons, right? So the <laughs> lemons here, the sour note, was the Israeli announced plan to do something about annexing or applying sovereignty, as the Israelis call it, over some additional territory in the West Bank, uh, which I think would have had uh, very negative diplomatic repercussions, including in Europe, but also among the Arabs, um, for no really tangible gain, I think, for Israel or for anybody. And what the UAE did was a kind of diplomatic jujitsu, was to take that perceived threat of a negative action and say, okay, we're going to do something very positive for Israel in return for Israel's willingness to postpone and probably actually to just cancel that annexation plan. And um, I think that, that that was a very creative and um, I hope productive <laughs> diplomatic feat uh, that I would give the UAE a lot of credit for. Um, it just so happens that um, just as a sort of a personal aside, Mm-hmm. that one of the leading figures behind all of this is the UAE Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, a guy named Anwar Gargash. Yeah. And I don't want to say exactly how many years ago, but let's say around, you know, three decades ago. <laughs> he was my student. <laughs> we have to thank for this. Yeah, in several, in several undergraduate courses about Middle East politics, uh, that I taught in, at the very, very beginning of my whole career as an assistant, very young junior assistant professor at George Washington University uh, here in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So I like to think that maybe I had uh, some small part in giving him a realistic uh, view about yeah. the Middle East and helping move his country. That's a great um, story. I keep um, so that, that, of course, that came, you know, to my mind. I mean, that, that's really yeah. on a personal level. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's a surprise. It's a yeah. positive surprise. My third initial reaction, and I was actually invited uh, to be, as I often am, on the flagship news program of the United Arab Emirates, uh, Sky News Arabia, which, by mm-hmm. the way, has nothing to do with Sky News, uh, the British Sky News, except they bought the name from it. Uh, It's actually UAE quasi-government broadcasting and very popular television channel and really quite a good one. So I was on their premier news show for a whole hour a little bit earlier today talking about all this. And the point that I made there, in addition to these first two points, is that there is a risk here, which is that there might be very sharply negative reactions to this from certain quarters in the region. Um, 
and obviously Iran and Hamas, but also the Palestinian Authority, which has already issued very, very negative statements. Yeah. And maybe from some other uh, Arab uh, governments or movements or individuals, you know, influential social media uh, figures and, and so on. And, and we are seeing some of that. Um, but it, it appears, you know, when I mentioned that on this Arab television program, granted it's a UAE yeah. channel, so you'd guess that they would be positive about this step and invite speakers who felt more or less that way. But still, they, they had other speakers on from around the Arab world, from Jordan, from Egypt, from Tunisia. Uh, in addition to the UAE itself. And, and their consensus was more like, no, things have changed. Uh, this mm -hmm. is not going to be like it was when Sadat made his separate peace with Israel and right. the response from other Arab countries pretty uniformly, not, not completely uniformly, but mo the vast majority of them really tried to isolate Egypt uh, in, as a you know, penalty for this. Uh, broke diplomatic relations and um, denounced it and held summit meetings in Baghdad um, and other places to say no to Camp David, you know, no to separate peace and all that stuff. Right. Uh, so the, the Arab reaction now seems to be much more mixed. Mm -hmm. And um, the Egyptian government has already come out uh, in favor uh, Bahrain as well, yeah. and um, I think we're going to see some of that and, you know, some really vehement criticism. But on balance, this signals to me that there is a different uh, background uh, now on the Palestinian issue, which is that uh, even many of the Arab governments and many of the Arab people, and I know this from the public opinion polls that I do all mm -hmm. around the region regularly, and I just did one in June, yeah, in Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and the UAE, and you find that more and more ordinary people in those countries are saying, we've had enough of this Palestinian-Israeli conflict, both sides are to blame for prolonging it, they really need to make a compromise, and we would support that. And so there's some reason to think that uh, maybe some other Arab countries will follow the UAE's example, but even if they don't, I would say it's unlikely that there's gonna be a kind of a backlash in a way that will, uh, a serious one that will make the UAE regret taking this. Yeah. Risk. So, you started off by mentioning that the Palestinian issue and how it's yeah. actually unimaginable such a gesture, such an announcement was, you know, five, yeah. ten years ago. Absolutely. But, but right. things, things have obviously changed and you're talking yep. about there being little, yep. you know, significant backlash. Right. Um, yep. From from the Arab states, and we've seen, like you said, Bahrain came out in you know the last hours saying yep. that you know it it's expressing its sincere congratulations right. for over this deal. But yep. 
so what does this mean essentially for the peace process for for where that goes yeah well they still you know talk about you know a comprehensive and enduring resolution to it right right um look <laughs> that's a great question ronnie I, I think i would start my answer by distinguishing between the short term and the medium term or long term mm -hmm. um, in the short term the most important positive consequence is for the peace process is that it at least as i said puts annexation on hold and yeah. probably um i think puts it on the shelf indefinitely uh you know um and and which which would i think have had uh, really quite negative repercussions for the peace process and for israel's overall international diplomatic position so that's number one so it kind of saves uh the possibility that the peace process could resume in a productive way pretty soon. However, yeah. um, that is, I think, not terribly likely because the Palestinian reaction is still so negative and it takes two to tango. You know, if the Palestinians aren't gonna go, come back to the table, uh, then in effect, they're at least for that amount of time, whatever it may be, there is no peace process. So um, you can't really do this unilaterally and call it peace. Um, and so I think probably the Palestinians are, first of all, waiting to see what the, how the dust will settle from this latest bombshell uh i mean diplomatic bombshell right um the uae israeli peace deal but also they're probably waiting to see who's going to win the american election in just a few months right and whether they have to deal still with trump and his peace plan or whether they can just you know kind of leave that behind and try to move on from a, what they hope will be a better position under a biden administration mm -hmm. Um, and of course, there's also a lot of uncertainty about, uh, in, as there always is these days, about Netanyahu and his government and yeah. you know, what, uh, what the Israelis are really up to. So I, I, I think that it's a, it's a good uh, temporary save for the peace process by stopping annexation in its tracks. I think in the medium term, um, the players are not likely to move in any decisive way. And mm -hmm. in the long term, now I get to the last part of this, in the long term, I think this is very positive because it probably, you know, bit by bit will convince the Palestinians, and this may take a long time still, but gradually they probably will become convinced that they can't keep holding out for forever for maximal terms and yeah. that they need to compromise and the time is not on their side and mm -hmm. other Arab countries are going to start breaking ranks like the UAE just did and and leaving them behind uh, or at least not uh, supporting the Palestinian 
kind of uh, refusal, you know, rejectionism of, of the peace process anymore. So sooner or later, that will, I think, uh, bring the Palestinians back to the table. And, and um, it's not going to be <laughs> easy <laughs> to reach any kind of deal with them. Um, you know, it's much, much harder with them than it is with neighboring countries or with other Arab countries further afield. But uh, I, I think it, that possibility is uh, enhanced by yeah. this latest step. So you mentioned annexation. Um, yeah. And the exact language of this declaration says, quote, Israel will suspend right. sovereignty over areas outlined in the president's yeah. for peace and focus its efforts now on expanding ties with other countries in the Arab and Muslim world. Right. Interestingly enough, when we looked at the statements that came out from Prime Minister Netanyahu and yes. then from MBZ, there right. was different languages. The Prime right. Minister of Israel yeah. said that there was no change in its plans to annex and MBZ tweeted that the agreement was reached to stop further Israeli annexation. Right. So right. how far do you read into that? Um, and is it something that those leaders did more to play to their own base? Um, yes, I think so. I, I think that the way they're phrasing it is probably more for domestic consumption. Yeah. Than country than anything else. And, and I think the truth is, you know, in between. It, 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 it's true. It's not officially a deal to end the annexation plan forevermore, um, just to freeze it or postpone it. But um, the, the chances are good, based on what I hear privately, even from Israeli sources uh, or sources close to senior Israelis, but but also just based on common sense that um, if you keep pushing this down the road, it it gets easier to keep it down the road. Annexation, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, I mean they missed the deadline, you know, the so-called deadline or target date, which was supposed right. to be July first, and then there are all kinds of reasons that um the government in israel has been finding to postpone it further whether it's coronavirus or other issues government crisis whatever but i think really the key thing here is that whatever netanyahu says about how it's still on his mind or you know on the back of his mind or on the table or uh he he and other very senior figures in his government and even in the Likud party are prone to repeating that it has to be done with American agreement and only with American agreement. And it appears that since Trump is the guy who brokered this deal uh, with the UAE, that he doesn't want the Israeli government to. to proceed with annexation and, yeah. uh, you know, in, for the foreseeable future at a minimum. And I think that that is very it's likely bad. to remain the case. If, if Trump, I would put it this way, if Trump is reelected, which seems 
less than likely right now. Uh, and I don't think this is going to make much difference to American domestic politics. But if he is reelected, then he doesn't have an electoral reason to give Israel the green light for annexation. And if he's not reelected, if Biden is elected president instead, then clearly his administration would take a very, very dim view if the Israeli government suddenly decided that they're going to go ahead with annexation in spite mm -hmm. of the new agreement with the UAE. So it seems to me that, you know, we, we don't need to pay a whole lot of attention or take terribly seriously or at face value that all these nuances that are coming from Netanyahu or from NBZ or from Oteba or from Gargosh or from <laughs> other people. I mean, I, I, I paid extra special attention to what I heard Gargosh and what Gargosh uh, say in Arabic uh, mm -hmm. today. And he, uh, he used different words for it, but he, in one, at least one interview that was replayed on UAE television on Sky News Arabia, which is, as I said, quasi-official channel. In at least one instance, Gargosh, the UAE Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, used the word tajmid annexation, which means just to freeze it. It doesn't mean to cancel it or mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, abolish it or whatever. So he's being kind of careful, and that's what the agreement says. The agreement says suspension, you know, yeah. not not abolition and not uh, well, we're 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 going to come back to it um, right away. So it's yeah. somewhere in between. So perhaps we can end uh, with with one yeah. question. Sure. Really grateful for your time, but sure. um, we are just about almost two months since uh, Ambassador Otaiba, the UAE's ambassador to DC, right. published this op-ed in Yadira right. Pro Note. Which right at the time seen as a huge, you know, breakthrough, an unprecedented move, which compared to today's news, you know, but given, you know, your expertise and all your work in, in public opinion, um, right. did, did you see anything um, either anecdotally of the impact of that op-ed and perhaps how it led us to the announcement that, that we're seeing today. Yeah, I, I, I think that that op-ed was an important milestone here. Uh, you're, you're quite right. That, that was kind of, compared to what happened today, it was you know, long-term, vague yeah. uh, ideas about normalization. And, but what was very clear about it was that and this actually was the title of it, more or less, was that Israel could have either annexation or normalization. It couldn't have both. It had to make a choice. So I think that message really was very well received, not well received in the sense of well understood <laughs> in, at the top levels of the Israeli government. And I think there was a little bit of perhaps confusion or doubt or something like that about mixed messages coming from different uh, UAE uh, figures. But uh, Otaiba's message was, I would say, the most you know, forthcoming um, of, of them all and that, that were made public. Um, and he, 
he was very forthcoming about offering Israel the prospect of real normalization, uh, not just with the UAE, but with the whole Gulf and the whole Arab and Islamic world someday. Yeah. But he was equally clear about saying, however, uh, the price for that is that you have to forego annexation. And it, it, what was so important about that is, and so different, uh, in addition to going public with the whole normalization thing so explicitly, uh, was that he didn't say the price for that is a final peace deal with the Palestinians or the end of occupation yeah. or an independent Palestinian state or, you know, partitioning Jerusalem or any of the, <laughs> the usual right. slogans. It, all, he, all he wanted, all he wanted was to stop annexation. Yeah. And that was the signal, I think, that got people and I think the timing from, again, from a little bit of private sort of rumors and gossip that I've heard, that really was the start of uh, the very serious secret discussions about, okay, now, now let's, let's figure out how we make this deal for real. Because he was offering a lot and asking only a relatively modest price in return. Mm -hmm. And that got the Israeli government off the dime on this. And and honestly, I, I'll tell you, Ronnie, I, I I have thought for a long time. <laughs> I, you know, my private email chains <laughs> would prove it, uh, but I, I don't want to make them public. <laughs> that um, that Netanyahu didn't really want to go ahead with annexation. Yeah, uh, because he realized that it would um it would it would be very costly in international terms maybe it would be good for his base but you know there was so much opposition to it in so many places uh and even the trump administration was backing away from it so i i think he was looking for a way to justify um let's say giving giving that up at yeah. least you know, for a while, and he found it. He found yeah. a great way to do it. Yeah. So, there we go. Well, yeah. David, thank you so much for your time, sure. especially yeah. for that I... anecdote about your student. Which <laughs> I can't believe I never heard after working with you for so years. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is that Anwar and I have actually kept in touch. Uh, fantastic. Over all these years, uh, I would say not not frequently but we see each other when i'm in abu dhabi or when he's in dc uh, i would say uh you know a few times a year of course now nobody's going anywhere so Any that's not happening we've been in contact uh through mutual friends and professional acquaintances yeah. on email and that sort of thing so so yes uh he did say i'll tell you one i'll tell you something Ronnie. Uh, th this is not necessarily for the podcast or whatever. okay let, let me let me end it here then i'll just right. stop the, i'll stop the recording thank you oh. everyone for joining oh. <laughs>